Amen. The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. And this morning, uh, we are, I'm going to start by reading this scripture for us. It's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is a reading of God's Word. Well, right now I have the, uh, the joy of introducing uh, our speaker. He is our intern. He's been interning uh, since the summer, and he's just been a wonderful uh, man of God. Uh, Sam Johan is finishing up his last month of seminary. He's a month away, just a few weeks away from graduating from Talbot. Uh, he is a really gifted man of God. He's been a blessing to all of us. And he's going to bring the word this morning. He's going to preach a sermon called The Servant from Philippians 2. So let's give him a hand. As Samuel comes up, he's going <laughs> to preach the word of God this morning. Thank you, uh, everyone, and Pastor Dennis. I'm very glad to be here and thankful to be here on this Sunday, uh, right after Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, first of all, a warm one with family and friends. I know I did with my wife and family. We had some turkey and ham, and we had a great time. So I hope you all did as well. And, uh, and I want to start off by saying that I'm, first of all, thankful to God that you're all here and that I'm very glad because you could have slept in or you could have been tempted. Maybe I just want to sleep in today or not go to church. Like many of uh, the Americans may be, you know, at home resting on this Sunday morning. However, you guys have come out here and I'm very thankful for that to God. And I want to make a further emphasis about that because in my class, uh, for one of my class, apologetics class, I had an assignment to present the evidence of God's existence to my agnostic friends. And for that assignment, I met up with my friends, and I was super excited because I thought that, sorry, something uh, glitched here. Very sorry about this. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. My friend, I was very excited to present the evidence of Christ's existence to my friends. I thought my tuition that I paid a lot of money for would give me the skills and ability to persuade my friends that they would believe in God's existence. However, my reasonings did not really persuade my friends to believe in God. And I came to two big conclusions with this uh, opportunity that I don't have any power to make my friends to believe that God exists. And secondly, I ask myself, why do I believe in God when my friends are so adamant about not believing in God? Why does God and Jesus make so much sense to me? 
And I was very thankful for that to God, that I could believe in God and that this gospel makes sense to me. As well as it is true for every one of you guys here who have gathered and we're all listening to the gospel today together. So I want to say one last time that I'm very thankful to God that we're all here to listen to God's gospel. And I'm very glad for that. In this 21st century, we're living in a radically individualistic society. We are constantly seeking ways for more comfort in our lives. Rather than selfless seeking, we've become self-seeking. Personally, I remember before I entered seminary that I was very passionate and I had a fervor to pursue my relationship with Jesus. I remember when I humbly laid down my selfish desires for the desires of the Lord and the church community. I remember sacrificially serving my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, even at my own expense. After I entered seminary and as time passed by, I noticed my faith, fervor, and passion was not the same as it was before. Rather than trying to be more selfless, I noticed myself becoming more selfish. Rather than having the heart to be sacrificial, I was more comfort-driven. Rather than praying repentantly of my sins and weaknesses, I started to trust more on my power and flesh. I wonder if any of you guys can relate to my experience in our walk and journey with the Lord. I have some questions to ask you. Have you lost your fervor and passion for the Lord? Rather than sacrificially serving the community of Christ, have you become complacent in our in your service to others as an expression to our Lord Jesus? And in this individualistic society, who has Jesus even become for Christians? Do you come out to church without the active transformational power of Jesus in your life? And if you have, then maybe you might have a misleading understanding of who Jesus is. If the transformational power of Jesus is present in your life, then I hope this time will be a mutual reminder of who Jesus truly is. If you're listening about Jesus for the first time, I pray that I can share about who Jesus is as clearly as possible. I want to just take this time to pray together for the Holy Spirit to uh, give me the strength and the power to deliver the message. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you, Lord, and just, uh, just put myself humbly before you as I share the scripture on Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. And I just pray that, uh, I just pray, Holy Spirit, just give me the power, uh, speak through me who you truly are, and open up our hearts to receive your word today, as this is the Advent, the first day of Advent, Lord. So I pray this in your precious Son, Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take us to a biblical history. A biblical history back to a time of the Church of Philippi. The Church of Philippi is very similar to City Light Church in the fact that the Church of Philippi, when they first gathered, they gathered near a river to listen to the gospel from Apostle Paul. Just like we're gathered here at the Arts Share LA with the Los Angeles River right next to us. And also, the city of Philippi was distinguished in the fact that it was a Roman, uh, colon, a Roman soldier colonization. So retired veterans resided there. So it was very affluent and rich, much like Los Angeles, where we are in the economic hub of the world. 
And the Greco-Roman world emphasized dominance than humility. And this is a juxtaposition of the Roman way of life and the way of the cross. Even nowadays, dominance than servitude is highly praised. In this contextual situation, Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi to have the mind of Christ towards one another. And what is this mind of Christ? And why should we have it? So I want to go into the point that first, we should have the mind of Christ in relationship with one another by humbly laying down our rightful privileges towards one another, even if that means ultimate humiliation. So I want to go into our message and scripture today in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. First, I want to read uh, from, I want to work on verses 5 to 8, going verse by verse. So from verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, also, I just want to make a, uh, I just want to say this is an NIV translation. It's very similar, though. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, in this verse, it says, have the same mindset. And what does this mindset mean? In the NASB as well as ESV, uh, no, wait, the NASB, it translates to attitude, and this is a social conduct towards one another. It's not something simply that we should have in our mind and leaving it at that. It's an act towards one another with this mindset. And if we look at the very previous verse, I'll read it to you. The very previous verse, this is what the mindset of Christ would look like. is not looking towards your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This was one of my biggest homework at the beginning of this semester, that I wanted to learn to put others before myself and to treat them as I would towards myself. And what is this mindset, and what mindset did Christ Jesus have towards us? Working on, looking to verse 6 and 7, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul states that Jesus is God, that he is the very essence God. And he did not exploit his status as God, but he became a servant in the form of a human being. Much like in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I'll read it for you. This is what Jesus said for, uh, to his disciples. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Going further into the passage, the word it says is being in very nature God in the NASV, uh, in, the ES, uh, in the NIV, <laughs> sorry. However, today in the ESV translation, it said the word form. And what is this word form in Greek? is the word morphe. And I just want to make an emphasis about that because many pastors and commentaries point out to the significance of the word morphe. And this does not mean a physical form, but it describes more of the character of a being or the essence of a being. And the very nature here means the character and essence of Jesus as God. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, God's character is described as infinite, 
eternal and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. However, Jesus did not use his character as God towards his own advantage. It says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The word here, very, uh, the word here, he made himself nothing, also translates to he emptied himself in the NASB. It means that he nullified, he nullified his deity and made his deity of no account. And how did he do this? He took the very nature, morphe, of a servant. As God, he was made into human likeness. The word servant is doulos. In Greek, it also translates to slave. And this could also mean the righteous servant in the Old Testament Isaiah. And it could also mean the slave used in Mark chapter 10, verse 44, where Jesus says, And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. In the Greco-Roman world, slaves were stripped of all basic human rights. Jesus, who is God, refused to exploit his rightful privilege of his deity and gave up that right and became a servant and a slave. The word likeness here means that Christ Jesus became human in the exact same sense that makes us truly human. He was born into this world as it is Advent, as an infant, and he grew up like every one of us, going through each stages of life from infancy to adolescence, to adulthood. And he felt everything we could possibly feel, from the happiest moments of our lives to the most sorrowful and painful moments. Not just feelings, but also physical extremities, which we will go into in verse 8. And being made, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' death on a cross is his ultimate expression of deity, which is humility. In those times, death on a cross was reserved for the lowest class and slaves. It was the cruelest form of death. If you've watched The Passion of Christ, you can see the extreme torture one must endure that Jesus had to endure even before being nailed to the cross. And Jesus chose to endure the death on the cross. And this was a very lonely death. The death on the cross was also for rebels of the Roman Empire. They would be nailed to the cross and left in the wild to be eaten by wild animals and birds. They wouldn't even receive a proper burial. This is the road Jesus chose to endure and this, I want to make an emphasis that it's not a glamorous gospel. Jesus empathizes with our pains, both emotional and physical. And we can truly find solace in the fact that Jesus endured everything we could possibly endure. I want to share an illustration about myself of when I entered seminary in the fall of 2016. I remember looking forward to the first winter break to just relax from all the studying that I had from the semester. However, a couple of days before winter break, I got a call from my spiritual mother, and she asked me if I could help with her autism ministry, winter camp. And with a deep 
breath and hesitation, I told her, I'll pray about it and get back to you. <laughs> my final project, however, for my class was to do an exegetical uh, project on this very passage, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. And learning that Jesus was obedient, even unto death on a cross, and even though I had the rightful privilege to enjoy my winter break and relax, I let my spiritual mother know that I will help her out with her autism ministry. And I tell you, it was the most challenging winter camp I had ever been a part of. I had two autistic kids and one kid who had ADHD, and I've, I was never exposed to that kind of environment before. But to this, I said yes. Now, you may ask yourself, or even to me, why should I choose to let go of my rightful privilege, even at the cost of my own loss? It seems so foolish to give up my rightful privileges. I only have one answer for you. Do you confess that Jesus is your Lord? And if Jesus is your Lord, and, and your Lord went to the extent of ultimate humiliation to die on the cross in obedience, what is stopping you from doing what the Lord has done? We should have the mindset of Christ in relationship with one another by humbly laying down our rightful privileges towards one another, even if that means ultimate humiliation. Let me just repeat this one more time. We should have the mindset of Christ in relationship with one another by humbly laying down our rightful privileges towards one another, even if that means ultimate humiliation. When we lay down our rightful privileges towards one another, even if that means ultimate humiliation, then in our union with Christ, we will glorify God the Father in unison. Let me look further into the passage of the day from verses 9 to 11. This is a NIV translation. I'm sorry if it's a... Okay. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Previously, in verses 6 to 8, God the Father was in the background. Even though Jesus, his beloved son, was going to the death on the cross, God the Father was in the background. However, after Jesus' obedience, God the Father responds, and he responds by exalting Jesus to the highest of names. And it even declares this in the Old Testament, Isaiah. In chapter 45, verse 23 to 24, I'll read it. It says, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say to me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. 
in verse 9, the word therefore means that because of the action of Jesus, which was to be obedient even unto death on the cross, God the Father exalted him to the highest of place. However, the emphasis is that God initiated, God the Father initiated to exalt the name of Jesus to the highest of names without Jesus expecting a payment in return. I want to make the emphasis that God the Father's action was out of his own sovereign will. We are not to expect a quid pro quo relationship with God. It is in his own sovereign will to bless whoever he will. To continue with my previous illustration, after I helped my spiritual mother with the autism camp, I continued to participate with her for the next two and a half years. And God's free gift to me was to journey through the U.S. and see God's, God's wonders of the world. And also, the biggest of all was to see the transformation of the autistic children. One of the children who never wrote a journal before, after the U.S. road trip and on the way back, started to write a journal after we've given him a notebook. And that's something that was never seen before. Another child who had difficult time vocalizing out loud and socializing learned to vocalize loudly and even initiated to introduce himself to others during a, a camp trip to Redwood National Park. I was also blessed to move into a retired uh, Biola professor's uh, home where I resided for the next year and a half. And now we've spiritually adopted each other as grandpa and grandson. Most importantly, through the autism ministry, I met my wife, Sarah. And for this Thanksgiving of 2019, I wrote, I am thankful for caps lock everything, literally everything. When I humbly laid down my rightful privilege, I gained everything in union with Christ for the glory of God the Father. You might say, to yourself or even to me. I don't know if God will do the same for me. I'm not saying lay down your rightful privilege for the glory of God, for the rewards that God will give you. But you are to have the mindset of Christ because that is what he who we confess as Lord has. Whatever God bestows upon you will be for the glory of God the Father. The same God that has blessed me will equally bless you and even more. God is bigger than even you and I can ever imagine him to be. When we humbly lay down our rightful privileges towards one another, even if it means ultimate humiliation, then we will gain everything in union with Christ by glorifying God the Father. Let me repeat this one last time. When we humbly lay down our rightful privileges towards one another, even if that means ultimate humiliation, then we will gain everything in union with Christ by glorifying God the Father. In conclusion, I want to share something that the Lord has made me reflect upon as I come closer to graduation from Talbot Seminary. I grew up as a pastor's kid in a Korean church majority of my life. And when I was attending Azusa Pacific University, I attended a Korean immigrant church. And I considered that church my home church and served that church uh, and served a lot in the church and grew a lot. However, the biggest challenge I saw attending 
that church was the gigantic cultural barrier. For example, the Korean international students will come to the U.S. and receive a Western education, but while going to a Korean immigrant church, their lifestyle reflected nothing different than as if they were living in Korea, but residing geographically in the U.S. Also, the Korean culture stems a lot from the Confucius mindset, where the younger are to respect the elders no matter what. And I witnessed some of the deacons and elders desiring recognition of their position and status rather than humbly serving those who may be younger as a mentor and guide. I want to emphasize, though, that I'm not saying all Korean immigrant churches are that way, and this is my personal observations and experiences. I'm not saying this is the way that every deacons and elders are. Absolutely not. These are just some of my personal observations. My hope and desire is to see a diverse group of ethnic background to gather together and worship God together, like I see here at City Light Church. And for those who are in positions of leadership within the church, to initiate, to extend their arms to those who might be in need of help, even as a mentor. And this might even mean for us who have been at City Light Church to reach out to those who are visiting with warmth and hospitality, having the mindset of Christ. So in search of a wider horizon and different planes, I left the Korean Immigrant Church at the end of my first semester at Talbot and have had many different experiences and saw a lot of different churches. And as I come closer to my graduation, I have all the rightful privilege to decide specifically where I would like to serve, but I've laid down my rightful privilege and want to say that I am open to serve wherever that the Lord may lead me once I finish seminary. I want to finish off by saying, as the birth of Christ draws near, and as today marks the first day of the Advent, what are your rightful privileges, no matter where you are in life? What are your positions and status within family, friends, work, church, and even society? And would you lay down your rightful privileges towards one another, instead with our Lord Jesus Christ, even if it means ultimate humiliation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you, Lord, and as we have learned uh, today of what it means uh, for this Advent, that you've come as an infant, knowing of what you would go through, the extent of the torture and the death on the cross that you will go through. And you've decided that as an expression of your love to us. Lord, I just want to pray that we can have that mindset that you've had, Jesus, towards one another. And Lord, that we can live it out towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, to bear each other's burdens and to carry each other and care for each other. Lord, wherever we might be in our life, in our statuses and positions, and in, in all of our social circles, I pray that we can reflect upon our positions to lay those down, to lay down our rightful privileges, even if it means ultimate humiliation, Lord. Because we know that through that, we will gain everything in union with you and glorify God the Father. So I want to thank you, Lord. I pray this in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen.